0: All right. Irreligiosity Podcast 2. We read the Bible so you don't have to.
1: Uh, we try to anyway.
0: What uh, are we doing today?
1: Well, today uh, I actually saw an article wherein uh, some divers were down in the, uh, in the sea there and saying they found chariots. Now, uh, I saw that and I found it to be quite laughable, and so I started doing some research into this, and in fact... Previously to this point, I already had some very base understandings concerning the Exodus, which is the uh, the focal point of this particular podcast, pretty much debunking the Exodus in every way possible. So, that's what today's about. So, what's your beef with the
0: Exodus? Aren't you happy that the Jews escaped the slavery at the hands of the Egyptians? Well, uh,
1: After they built the pyramids? Well, you know, uh... That's pretty sad that the pyramids were built a thousand years before they were even supposedly in Egypt. So, uh, yes, that is my beef with the exodus. But the interesting thing is there's a lot of people out there that are defending the exodus. I actually like to point out that, yes, the, uh, the pyramids were built a thousand years beforehand. They say that what the, uh, the Jews were building in there was temples, not pyramids. Well, they'd have to be. I mean, there was a
0: lot of building, a lot of construction going on oh, yeah. at that there's, time throughout. Egyptian this is history. Egypt. They yeah. always build. Yeah. All right. Uh, so it's interesting because you've written this article. I would have probably just looked in Exodus and said it's mythical, even if there's some kernel of truth to these stories. Uh, it had been passed on through so many generations orally that this massive game of intergenerational telephone you would have gotten so much added to it and taken away and so much garbled that uh, you can't really consider uh, the final product when it was finally set down to papyrus or whatever it was
1: as anything other than myth. Well, and that's exactly right. That's what a lot of people don't understand is that this was an oral tradition. I mean, if you take a look at it, Herodotus, our first real historian, he wrote about, uh, about wars, and I mean, we're talking within a span of 40 years, he was writing about wars, and the figures that he put in his, uh, in his books was so far stretched that uh, even modern day historians are going, you know what, this is what Herodotus said, however, due to the population, this is what we think it is. And so, I mean, we're talking a span of maybe 40 years where Herodotus is writing this, all of this is just oral histories. He's picking up on it, he's putting it down. So imagine we're talking a couple hundred years before they finally get around to writing down these oral traditions of the Exodus. So, I mean.
0: Yeah, it's funny, I mean, living in the United States, um, it would be like the ancient Greeks taking the myth of the Iliad and the Odyssey. which like the, the, Troy was supposedly attacked in the year 1200 BC, right? Yeah. And it w- wasn't written down to maybe 700. Homer didn't write it down until 700, even if it was Homer. You know, that's up yeah, to
1: debate. that's up to debate who the um, actual...
0: It would be uh, as if they said that these things are actually literal and they're trying to find evidence that Aphrodite swung down and picked up Paris in the middle of the battle. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it seems like it's... The whole thing, to me,
1: seems a little ridiculous, but... Uh, it's It's really absurd, and the amazing part is... Back in the 1970s, there was a fellow by the name of Ron. His last name slips my mind right now. However, he supposedly dived down to this plane that, uh, which I love that they point out, has the (laughs) the angle of uh, handicap-accessible ramps in the USA. And uh, basically, he dived down. What plane was this? Um, it's it's over in the Red Sea. I, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but it's like you have the Red Sea, and in the center of it is this uh, raised plane, and it, it just kind of goes slowly down and then slowly back up. So the grade is the equivalent of
0: uh, a ramp for disabled people. Yeah. How nice of that, God that to was... put that... <laughs> <laughs> that's off. Oh, that that's amazing because that's, they had so many wheelchairs
1: back in uh Well, it was for the chariots really. The, you oh, know, right? To the help chariot. them catch up. But no, no, the amazing part is this Ron fella, uh he actually claimed to have found a chariot wheel. And the most interesting part is he took it to a fella by the name of Muhammad Hassan, who is the de- director of antiquities in Cairo. And this uh Muhammad fella he actually pointed out, yes, in fact, this spoke design is from the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Now, this is some mind-blowing news here, except for the fact that no one can find the wheel. So this was in 1970. This was in 1970s. And so you have this mind-blowing evidence, and it just gets misplaced like your car keys? Well, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's in some private
0: collector's yeah, collection sure, right now. sure. Um. Uh, <laughs> the whole, uh, the whole way you verify these things. I mean, one expert can have one finding, but it needs to be corroborated by a number of other experts. Now, if a bunch of other experts had taken the time and looked at it and corroborated it as an 18th what, 18th dynasty, 18th dynasty, yes. uh, chariot wheel, I, I'd be more impressed by that. But one guy saying it and then the whole thing disappears it is a little
1: suspicious. Yeah, it's very suspicious to me that you have uh, a couple of people who are actually interested in proving that the exodus occurred, and both of them are coming forward and saying, yes, we have found this wheel, we have this evidence, oops, we don't have the evidence. anymore." a picture of it? No picture.
0: No picture, no. Okay, wonderful.
1: Supposedly there's some sort of uh, video footage, but the video footage shows nothing of the wheel. All it shows is Muhammad standing there talking about the wheel.
0: All right, so scratch that one off. We, we essentially have no way of verifying there ever was a cherry wheel. Yeah,
1: exactly my point. And it was this <laughs> article which really got the hair standing up on the back of my neck and said, okay, really, you guys want to understand the exodus? Let me help you understand the exodus. So, I mean, uh, basically, uh, I say we start through with the actual uh, different uh, pestilences and everything else that was cast at them, the hardships that the poor Egyptians had to you know, endure.
0: All right, because their hearts were hardened and they yeah, didn't you know, accept the, the Jewish
1: God. Those Egyptians, I mean, how can they be shown so many miracles and not turn towards this? It makes no sense. Well, my favorite has always been Exodus 7.10. This is where Moses actually walks in front of Pharaoh and he casts his staff down. It turns into a serpent. And you know, Oddly enough, Pharaoh just kind of goes, eh, sends his two magicians forward. They cast their staffs down, and theirs turn into serpents. Now, the only uh, real interesting thing there is supposedly Moses' staff ate the rest of uh, of Pharaoh's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That snake was hungry.
1: Well, you know, I mean, you got two snakes coming at you. What are you going to do? Eat them.
0: If you've spent a lot of your life being a staff, I guess you don't eat very much. That's true. It's hard being stiff all the time. I thought it was really funny when I first heard this as a kid, because I thought, whoa, you know, how could they duplicate this miracle of God, right? Yeah. How is that possible? And my parents told me, well, Satan can duplicate almost anything, right? Yeah. So this was Satan um, uh, duplicating the Lord's work. But he actually did it better because he had two snakes. But... The one, the Lord Snake. Ate the Lord's Snake
1: uh, ate the others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's too bad that even today you can go to Egypt, find a, a magician, just, you know, a street magician, who will pick up a cobra, squeeze the little uh, pressure points on the back of the neck, and the cobra becomes stiff as a rod.
0: I'd love to see that, actually. I've never seen it. See how realistic it is? Yeah. I guess there's a nerve plexus, is that what it is, where you, yeah. you squeeze on that and it just it Straight just
1: basically tenses up the muscles. The snake goes stiff as a stick, and you can walk around as if it's a walking stick. As soon as you release those pressure points, you have a snake again. He should have turned around and bit Moses. I mean, he's the guy that's squeezing you in the neck. Well, I know I would have. Yeah, Their
0: snakes. <laughs> snakes didn't really harm him. All right, so that um, so that's not a big deal. The, the What struck me was that the Pharaoh wasn't impressed by this at all.
1: Yeah. Ah, we do that all the time. Yeah, obviously. And now there is one thing I would like to state. Now, scholars today do believe that there was some people in Egypt at this time, because there are references to Egyptian phrases and just references to Egyptian culture. That's not what I'm trying to dispute here. I actually think, yes, there was a small faction, and I really, really highlight the phrase small faction of people in Egypt. However... The thing I would like to also just stress is that this is us people who are strangers to this land, and therefore, things that they see are miracles to them, whereas the Egyptians are looking at it going, eh, so what? So you think the ancient Jews uh, spent some time in Egypt? Yes.
0: Um, And actually, in the Old Testament, two of their prophets were mummified, and they actually got most of the details right. Yeah, yeah. so clearly, uh, and they had some Egyptian words, right, that they later yeah. translated like in Coptic. And yeah. So clearly they'd spent some time in Egypt
1: at one point in their history. Yeah, at one point. Some of them. And I, uh, what was it, 60 years they were supposedly in Egypt? Uh, some form of generations have passed. I, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head. But they were supposedly enslaved in Egypt for many, many years. Now, personally, I don't think it was that long. And the reason why is specifically for the very next uh, plague that came forward, which was, of course, the waters of the river turning red with blood. Now, the reason why I don't think the Jews were in Egypt very long is because they saw this as a miracle. Now, the interesting thing is is this happens every single year in Egypt. It's called inundation. Basically, you... Uh, you have uh, the Ethiopian and the southern Sudan that get these uh, floods that come through there, these uh, torrential rainfalls. And from those torrential rainfalls, the waters wash down towards Egypt, filling up the Nile, and basically the water turns red, and then it turns green, and then you have inundation where it floods out, and Egypt is actually able to, you know, crops. So it turns red
0: because of all the soil that's being uprooted. Green is when the plants kind of get up top of the surface, I guess, yeah, and then and then it inundates and and fertilizes the
1: soil, yeah. yeah, which is why Egypt was such a a great milestone for the ancient world is because they were the ones who could have crops consistently. I mean, Egypt was basically able to base their calendar off of inundation. That's how regular it was, yeah, it
0: was one of their seasons, right yeah you had the flood inundation and the dry spell or something like that yeah yeah um so uh, i mean this must have been it must have seemed miraculous even if it happened every year even to the egyptians you know wow this is massive you know the the river's most of the same color and then this massive sort of technicolor fireworks display um and then they get more food
1: yeah now see i have no doubt that Egypt was looking on this as something magical, something of the gods.
0: I think the Pharaoh
1: wasn't one of his main things.
0: He went out there and did a ritual every year yeah. or something that. Um, he would actually go out on a boat the flood. Yeah. Would, yeah. Yeah.
1: No, so I mean, yes, Egypt did see this as a magical thing, but it was something they were used to. Whereas I look at this as you have this outside people coming to this, and they all of a sudden see the waters turning red with blood and instantly attribute it to, oh, Moses did it. Or could it be
0: that they were talking a hundred years later, and that's one of the details that someone had mentioned, and so it gets incorporated with all these plagues and that sort of thing. Yeah,
1: very well could be that as well.
0: I mean... We're, we're guessing here, but the, the plague of the <laughs> Nile turning red with blood... Really, there's nothing miraculous about it. It's essentially fertile topsoil or whatever it was that was brought down.
1: It's basically just topsoil from Ethiopia and the southern Sudan, which causes the Nile to overflow. Now, kind of on an offshoot on this one, which leads into the rest, many scholars today have been trying to figure out how these plagues actually happened. And many of them have been attributing them to volcanoes. I mean, a lot of them have been moving towards the theory that it was volcanoes that caused all of these pestilences and all these plagues to Egypt. Now, uh, the reason why is you have the darkness, you have uh, the river turning red with blood, so on and so forth. And so they've been looking towards volcanoes instead of just looking towards the society itself. Now, one of the volcanoes they've they've tried to press forward is the uh, Rift Valley of Central Africa. The only problem with that is those volcanoes are still erupting today, and uh, they don't even send their eruption towards Egypt. It actually goes uh, down the wrong way to Lake Kivu. So, I mean, these eruptions are completely pointless to even look at if you're actually going to be studying this and reading what scholars have said.
0: Except today. God could have diverted the eruptions when the, uh, toward Egypt back in those days.
1: Of course, except there would have been some
0: sort of evidence of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> God doesn't leave evidence sometimes. Ah, He's that's, that's magical. Really that's his whole point.
1: Well, all right. Well, how about we move towards another volcano, which may be more plausible, even though it was a uh, hundred or so years before the Exodus actually occurred.
0: See, again, th- this time would blur together, though. If you're writing this stuff down four or five hundred years later, hundred years, give or take,
1: doesn't matter. Exactly. The, exactly it, my It point. all blurs. I mean, these, these are all based on oral traditions, so... They get blown up, made bigger. Now, exactly what he's talking about. Now, in the Aegean Sea, there was a volcano known as the Thera Volcano. And it actually went off in about 1628 BCE. And, uh, I mean, like I said, that was uh, a few hundred years before these the exodus was supposedly supposed to happen. And there's a lot of scholars out there trying to do mental gymnastics to try and fit this volcano with the exodus and the problem is is just like what charlie just put forward this is an oral tradition so we're talking hundreds of years have passed where egypt may have still been talking about oh yeah do you remember this happening and then you know it's being incorporated into the stories of these oral traditions of this people who spent a short amount of time in egypt before departing
0: Yeah, it's funny because i remember seeing i remember hearing the name of the volcano on some Discovery or History Channel special having to do with Atlantis, right? Yeah, because Plato has in one of his dialogues a reference to Atlantis, um, and they think that that Thera volcano is kind of what started this whole Atlantis myth because it was a massive explosion and it sunk an island in there or something like that. I don't know what it was. Um, But what is so surprising to me about this whole thing is that scholars are actually taking the Exodus story seriously enough That they're looking into possible or plausible reasons for how it got the way it was. As if 100, 200, 300 years of talking and having this legend, accreting more legendary and mythical things, isn't enough to explain it. I mean, what if, I don't know, the Egyptians never would have recorded any type of defeat. What if they got tired of having, like they often did, if the populace got too numerous, they'd kick them out. Yeah, right. They the did foreigners, that to the Greeks. yeah, they, they, did that they to get the Greeks. they get really upset. Um, it's, you kind of hear the same thing in the United States today. They're like, "Oh, these immigrants, we can't stand them. Get them out of here. This is our country." Well, it really, isn't right? We've been here for two hundred years. Before that, it was the Native Americans. Um, but Egyptians very much had that sense of nationality where uh, we don't like these guys. Our problems uh, in the national, the natural order of things. The reason why things aren't so good is because of foreigners. They could have kicked him out, um, pushed him out of Egypt,
1: uh, got tired yeah. of him, and, and kicked him out. And, and then you come up with all this stuff to explain it, right? A couple hundred years later, you got these people out there wandering through the Sinai Desert going, Why is our life so tough? <laughs> and then you got Moses sitting there saying, Don't worry, I went before, Mo- or I went before Pharaoh. We argued back and forth, and I wanted you to go free because God said this, or was even a mission. legend like
0: Troy, right? I mean, how do we know that um the people who were in Troy ever existed? How do we know that Odysseus ever existed? How yeah. do we know Moses ever existed in the first place? I mean, why? Why would I mean, we? We have archaeological
1: evidence for Troy. Right? Yes, we actually have it, where they've dug it up and they've de- determined which particular Troy there right. was. It
0: I mean, there were it? like nineteen different um, 19 layers, layers in there, yeah. but um, the existence of Troy, even if they prove the Exodus or some kernels of truth, it doesn't have it. Doesn't provide any evidence for any supernatural. Just like the existence of Troy doesn't provide any evidence for the supernatural uh, events that occurred in the
1: Iliad. Exactly right? see I mean you, I mean this is the funny thing is I was actually reading an article wherein there was a, a California uh, rabbi who came forward and said, you know what the the Exodus didn't happen it's a nice story it's a, it, it teaches you things but it, it didn't happen and uh, there was a newspaper article written but the actual article I was reading was by another rabbi who was going on and on and on. About how the denial of the Exodus is basically denying that all the Jews who have been martyrs for this have been wasted by denying the ex- Exodus. Now, I equate that to Troy. You have all of these people in Troy who, if you deny that Troy did not exist, you deny <laughs> that, that Hercules Achilles. was. Uh, Achilles, excuse me, Achilles that if if that isn't then what about all the people that died in zeus 's name what I mean that's
0: true you're denigrating their memory exactly uh, that's bizarre
1: yeah.
0: I mean it seems like rationally speaking it wouldn't matter to your faith if the exodus actually happened or not or if, if it was just a
1: nice story to teach you something right. a parable
0: exactly if if it 's a myth um like if I found out i don 't know i can 't put myself in those shoes anymore but If David and Goliath never happened, right? Does that really undercut um, the premise of being nice to your neighbor or uh, their other kind of ethical teachings? I, I don't understand why everything in
1: the Bible has to be literally true for their religion to stand. Well, see, that's because God wrote this. This is a literal text from God. Therefore, if it isn't true... Then God isn't true. God what isn't if he's
0: writing in parables, though? I mean, uh, and <laughs> he's just not telling you. I mean, I mean, you look at the the rainbow, right? Yeah. Are you honestly telling me there were no <laughs> rainbows before the flood?
1: Yes, there were no rainbows before the flood. Light did not refract through right. water before
0: the flood. There's no differential refraction of light through a prism before the flood. So if Newton had taken his little prism back before the flood, that, that it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, He would have just seen nothing a nice no, little crystal. But there... <laughs> No evidence for a worldwide flood in the first place. But even assuming
1: that... We'll get into that later, I'm sure. God
0: changes the the um, laws of physics to put a rainbow, a little bow in that? Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, it just seems to me that it's, that story is equally ridiculous as any other Zeus throwing the thunderbolt or anything like that. And I can't understand why you would say that is literally true and... Uh, and Troy isn't. Yeah, yes. or Zeus causing thunder Zeus causing, yeah. isn't. Right or Thor throwing his little I don't know what it is anyway. Next next plague, <laughs> Thor. Where did Thor come I don't know. into? I'm throwing it out.
1: All right, all right. Well, the next plague was uh, Exodus seven twenty six to nine twelve. These were the gnats, the flies, the frogs, the pestilences, and the incurable boils. Now supposedly. This only affected the Egyptians. Which... This actually sounds like the Job story,
0: right? <laughs> except inflicted on the Egyptians.
1: That's actually a very good point. That hadn't even occurred to me. Let's see. Personally, I'm looking at this thinking you have in Egypt all of these people, especially the poor people, piled into this small section of a city, and you're going to see all of these diseases because they're going to be passed around to one another. And, of course, I I don't know if you guys have ever noticed with religious people, but they'll have something happen to them. And then as they go forward in time just a little bit, they'll be looking back on it and think, oh, well, that wasn't too bad. I'm glad I wasn't as bad as my neighbor here oh, who yeah. could have had the same exact affliction.
0: That's a fallacy that's called post hoc ergo propter hoc. It's after this, therefore because of this. Right. Yeah. If there's a temporal association with it, it must have happened because of these things. And it's its a fallacy, but it's hard to explain to people who aren't trained in that sort of thing and have that religious mindset why it's a fallacy. You know, you, you'll drive and um, something will happen, like you'll be stopped by a police officer and then there's a big accident up front. You're thinking, Exactly. God stopped me, you know, by that and saved my life. Of course, he didn't save the people's lives who were in the accident themselves. <laughs> But uh, he stopped me, right? And it's because, you know, God loves me. That's the price
1: effect. of a $120 speeding ticket.
0: Right, right exactly. <laughs> but that stuff doesn't enter in. You know, thank God I was blessed to be stopped by this. But they'll, they'll put this stuff in all the time. Um, but, yeah, you're right about the living conditions. Um, you read Thucydides and the, the Peloponnesian War, where at the beginning they, they bring all the Greeks in from the countryside and put them inside the walls of Athens. Yeah. And what happens? Plague. Plague. Starts they're, destroying yeah, them. They're crowded into this. They have poor sanitation, little to no hygiene, and pretty soon everyone, you know, a massive amount of the population is stricken, including Pericles, who got them into Peloponnesian War yeah. in the first place, in a stroke of
1: kind of ironic justice. Nah, yeah, that's, that's um, too bad. Pericles didn't survive. <laughs> yeah,
0: the, right. The Peloponnesian War might have turned out differently. But clearly, any time you get, especially where. You know, the average age, the lifespan was probably in the 30s at this time, right? Exactly. I mean, we're um, not
1: talking a long span of yeah, life
0: here. Yeah, people are not living until 80 years old on a routine basis. Um, So you get them, you, know, you throw poor hygiene and poor sanitation into the mix, which, you know, if, if they're slaves, I guess. And Egypt's, did they have their own
1: slaves or did they just give Nubians? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they, they did... Uh, they had slaves from all over, in yeah. fact, uh, they would basically egypt it was would, kind
0: of a robust trade system at that point yeah. right they'd go and they'd raid a country and they'd bring back uh, plunder they'd bring and back slaves
1: back, plunder and yeah. slaves and basically uh, you would uh, your status was determined by how many slaves you owned
0: now and by the way, you know this great ethical book of the Bible. Um, condone slavery, I, I believe, and I don't have it with me, but I believe uh, one part in uh, Deuteronomy, maybe, where they say you can purchase slaves, but only from the neighboring only kingdoms. from neighboring kingdoms. Yeah. you know,
1: we can actually post that in the uh, the article that goes along with
0: this podcast. Yeah. it's beautiful, you know, the, how forward looking this God is to say, "Hey, it's okay to have slaves and, <laughs> and have this this master slave relationship," but uh, but only from countries that
1: are around you. Yeah, I don't know why that is, but anyway. so. Anyway, yeah, so basically these people are shoved together, all these pestilences are happening oddly enough, only to the Egyptians. hmm, yeah, how come God doesn't do that anymore?
0: uh God he's does. not selective at all, and his um you know he sends a hurricane to C- Katrina all throughout uh Louisiana and um a bunch of hurricanes you know it routinely hits the Coincidentally enough, the Southeast United States. Uh, <laughs> wow. now, how can we never send one to Utah
1: or well, Idaho? I would suggest waiting a hundred years, that and would then be miraculous. let's hear
0: what happens
1: with the miracles in
0: <laughs> Katrina. Ah, you, you're probably right. All right, so scratch that one off your list. What are we up to now?
1: All right. Well, the next one is hail. This is Exodus nine thirteen to nine thirty five. Now, the interesting thing with this is
0: now hail in Egypt would be a miracle. Yeah, you got to admit that.
1: Oh yeah. Well, considering that in Egypt, they get 0.39 inches of rain a year, period. Now, just to give you a little idea, in Phoenix, Arizona, on average, they get 0.7 inches in January alone, or 0.7, or excuse me, 7.9 inches for the entire year. So we're talking Egypt gets very, very, very little rainfall at all. In fact, when it did fall, People were upset at the gods, and they figured something was going wrong.
0: So you think that they had a larger than normal storm, basically. Basically. Did they actually say it was hail? Hailstones falling from the sky, like ice balls, or uh, I don't know how they
1: they they? I've heard it a few different ways, uh, from hail to hail of fire coming down. I mean, the Ten Commandments, that movie, they had hailstones of fire coming down, which is another reason why so many people have been moving towards a volcano theory to try and, uh, and, you know, justify the fact that there was hail of fire coming down out of the sky. However... no, oh, hang on a second. I, I, <laughs> if you posit a
0: volcano, aren't you removing the entire supernatural element from it anyway? Yes. So what's the point? Um, if you're saying, well, the ex- explanation for this plague was that just a volcano erupted, does that really gain you anything? God did the volcano. I guess. (laughs) Brimstone, though, isn't it? Doesn't brimstone catch on fire? Yes. So maybe it was hailing
1: brimstone. Of course. Now, the interesting thing is, something I would also like to point out, why is there no evidence of fire blazing down out of the sky, blasting Egypt up? I mean... Whoa, we should have layers of burn for Exactly.
0: In the uh, Greeks, when they went through one of their dark periods... um, uh, there's evidence of burning. You know, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't think anybody does, but there, uh, all these countrysides and villages, they have all these layers of ash and and stuff that burned down. Uh, you'd think in Egypt you'd come across
1: one of those if it yeah. was. Well, I mean, Egypt is so dry; everything is preserved, which is why papyrus, mummies, what have you, is so preserved. Is because there's very little to no moisture in the air at all. So, something like this, some big catastrophe like fire and hail coming out of the sky, that would be something that archaeologists would be able to look at and go, oh, well, look at that. It's right there. You'd think that the Egyptians also would record that. Um,
0: but, you know, the counter argument is that they don't ever record their defeats, right? Only right. their successes.
1: However, the counter argument to your counter argument is this would be viewed as something coming from the gods. And they even recorded Akhenaten who nobody liked in Egypt. You'd think
0: that there would be some recording somewhere. All right, so so the hail
1: doesn't really stand up to any sort of scrutiny. No, my suggestion to that is there was probably a larger-than-average storm that blew through. Uh, It was very easy for this outside people to see that the Egyptians weren't happy about this storm, and so they later on instantly attributed it, and probably where the fire came from. I mean, fire is a very mystical thing back then. I mean, you have the pillar of fire that comes up where God's talking to them out of a pillar of fire.
0: I'll go you one further, saying if these guys already accept um, the waters turning to blood and the, the gnats and the flies and the incurable boils and all that stuff, couldn't they have just made it up? Yeah. I mean, isn't it possible they just said, oh, God made it rain, rain fire, fiery down hail on down on top of them to soften the Pharaoh's heart? Wow. You know? You know, uh, that
1: that would soften my heart, couldn't seeing my <laughs> city destroyed by fiery hail.
0: <laughs> so couldn't they have just made the whole thing up?
1: Yeah. All right. So anyway, locusts.
0: Ah, yes, the Now locusts. that's a miracle. This oh, one yes. I was never impressed with as a, as a kid because the there's a very similar um, plague in Mormon early Mormon pioneer
1: time. That's a very good point. The Mormons were hit with a locust, uh, the pioneers there, weren't they? Yeah, they were saved by seagulls. Of it's, course. It, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a very good correlation. That's a very good yeah, correlation. I never
0: thought that. I thought this plague was like, oh man, that's pretty common, right? These locusts come and
1: whatever. It, clearly, locusts come wherever the stuff to eat is. Exactly. Right? And with Egypt being so fertile. Now, to give you an idea, I actually looked up. <laughs> this is on the National Geographic website under locust plagues. But I looked it up and just. In the years 1900 to 2000, there were locust plagues from 1926 to 1934, 1940 to 1948, 1949 to 1963, 1967 to 1969, 1986 to 1989. So we're talking every couple years we have locusts flying in like crazy. So this is pretty common. Yeah, again, an outside people seeing something that the Egyptians know is common and just going, eh, it's a miracle.
0: Yeah, I, certainly. That, that, uh, that's almost evidence that they were there, right? That they remember the plagues of the locusts. <laughs> but you're certainly have to resort to a supernatural explanation for that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, the next one is the interesting one. It's darkness. Supposedly there was darkness for several days there. Exodus, uh, let's see, 1021 to 1029. Now, uh, the interesting thing I've always found is this darkness was supposedly so thick that nobody could see anything. It was uh, very difficult to move around. Well, we're talking three days here. How did people survive in three days of darkness? Not only that, but how did Pharaoh send a messenger to Moses through this darkness? If it was that black, very slowly, very slowly, <laughs> he had to crawl and walk around with a little cane like a blind man. He probably had a flashlight. Oh, I, I you know, I, I hear they they were very kind one of those wind-up flash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, It was three days of darkness? Three days of darkness. Just like when Jesus died. Just like when Jesus died. I wonder if there's some sort of uh, significance to that three days of darkness stuff.
1: Well, that's a theory of mine going back to Egypt in threes, but uh, we can get into that later. mm -hmm. All right.
0: So, um, three days of darkness surrounding uh, all of Egypt? I can't remember. I should have read this stuff before I came Mm -hmm. in here. But all of Egypt or just like the capital or what?
1: All of Egypt, supposedly. Um, There was no real... Suggestion: It was just Egypt was in darkness. It didn't exactly state city, where, place. It was just
0: Egypt was in darkness. So it could have been just the city around them, around the pharaoh. Exactly. Right. They're wondering why Egypt's uh, neighboring countries wouldn't have noticed the, the darkness <laughs> suffering for three days.
1: <laughs> huh? Has Egypt been pissing well, off the it's... Jews again? <laughs>
0: Man, that's like the seventh plague
1: we've seen. Come on, guys! Can't you just let their people go? <laughs> See, this is also interesting, because this is another reason why this volcano theory keeps propping up, is because people believe that if, if the uh, the Thera volcano, which was such a massive explosion, sent so much soot into the air, that it would darken the world for a few days. Now, uh, I mean, all right, I, I can uh, I can accept that a Thera volcano, if it exploded, would send soot up in the air and darken it a little bit, but to the point where... Egypt couldn't function? I mean, really? Well, I mean, if it did happen, then
0: you certainly exaggerate it and say this darkness, not your normal volcano darkness, it was a (laughs) God-inspired darkness. You couldn't see your hand in front of
1: your face, right? And yet the messenger still made it to Moses.
0: (laughs) Very carefully.
1: (laughs) Tripping several times, scrubbed up Well,
0: Maybe it was a volcano, if all this stuff is leading toward a volcano theory.
1: Well, see, and that's the interesting thing, is it all comes down to, uh, I mean, like I stated previously, the Thera Volcano was in 1628 BCE, and the Exodus, from the dates they pulled out of the Bible, was supposedly between 1496 and 1446 BCE. So, I mean, we're talking a couple hundred years there, 100 to 200 years yeah. there, of separation.
0: Yeah. I was listening to a lecture on Herodotus, and they were trying to give a sense of how difficult it is, because Herodotus had to uh, interview people that were in these battles, right? Um, How difficult it is to maintain uh, an oral history. So the example that was given was, can you remember your grandfather? Most people can Can you remember your great grandfather? You're getting pretty iffy. Can you name a great grandfather? No. I can't either. And that's – your great-grandfather was probably born about, what, 40 or 60 years before you were? Yep. Uh, And you go back one more generation and it's all – you have no idea. It's muddled. It's hard for us to believe because we have instant access to the internet, to libraries, to newspapers. We can go and look at this stuff. None of these guys had any of that. So if you hear about this massive volcano causing rain of fire um, in the 1600s, right, which to them would be in the the unimaginably distant past – um, you, you like the story. It sounds great. It sounds like something God could have done. And so you co-opt it to this your own story and stick it in your myth of the um,
1: exiting from Egypt. And see, that's exactly right. Now, the Thera volcano was in the Aegean Sea. So, I mean, we're talking that's several hundred miles yeah. away from Egypt. So yeah. this volcano not only affected Egypt, but it affected Greece. It affected a lot of the Middle East. So, I mean, this was not an isolated incident, so you're exactly right. This could this could have just been another section of a different story that was just incorporated into the Exodus.
0: Yeah, and they'll, they'll do that. There's, there's good evidence for that in the Bible. They'll just co-opt stories that they like. Even in the New Testament, um, you got a lot of pagan mythology in there. Yeah. All right, uh, so that was the darkness, death of the firstborn. <laughs> that can't have any truth to it. Nobody's firstborn ever dies. Ah, wow. And again, here's another one. This, this uh, sequence where the the um, firstborn uh, of everybody doesn't put that lamb's blood on the door, yeah, right? Exactly. Gets killed, um, and that kind of goes back to the birth of Moses, where there was a bunch of people. They were trying to kill. Uh, didn't that happen in, with Moses? they were trying to kill all the the uh, kids, the infants, or the toddlers, and that's why she set her off into the set Moses off into the reed. Yeah. Uh, basket.
1: And did you notice that the same thing happened with Jesus,
0: And, too? of course, yeah, with Jesus. Uh, Herod wanted to kill everyone he was under, too. Uh, seems like it's a recurring theme. So it makes me question immediately, is this a literary device that they're using because yeah. it's re- repeating throughout, or did it really happen? So what's your take on it? Did it really happen? Did God actually send the plague down?
1: Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure if the Egyptians would have lost that many people, there would be a huge hit to their economy. <laughs> 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 and, you know, you brought up earlier that Egypt doesn't like to write down defeats. In fact, uh, no ancient kingdom did. Mostly they would write down their victories. However... Except for the Jews. They'll write the down Jews. their defeats. That's very true. The Jews were very good at writing down everything. They're almost masochistic. Well, you know, if you piss off God enough, you, you <laughs> kind of learn to be masochistic. No, so, I mean, uh, the the thing I would like to posit is in uh, the intermediary periods, basically in Egypt's dark ages, there were writings called Lamentations, where everything was turned upside down, and you had people writing, oh, woe is me, uh, my servant is walking around with this jewelry And you would find something like that, at least some shred of evidence where somebody graffitied a wall concerning this. But there is nothing, nothing in Egypt that talks about this many firstborns being killed. Now, a lot of people posit that Ramses was the one that was the pharaoh of Egypt during the time of the Exodus. And there is evidence that his firstborn son did die. So, I mean, if you move down far enough down through the generations... This could easily be tied into, oh, our prophet did it. He killed Ramses' son. To hundred years later, oh, our prophet did it. He killed all of the firstborn in in Egypt.
0: Yeah, it does seem like, yeah, it would get bigger in the telling as it goes. Yeah. Um, But interestingly enough, though, if you posit that Ramses is the pharaoh of Egypt, his son died, and we know that because it it kind of marked a turning point in his career. He used to be this expansionistic, um, you know. Uh, go out going there and, and battle everybody and fight and et cetera. Et cetera. and there was a turning point uh, in the middle of his career where he just didn't do that he started negotiating um, with his enemies and uh, uh, kind of scaled back quite a bit he yeah. changed and that was probably the death of his firstborn son uh, I believe his wife also died um, yeah she died together.
1: very very shortly afterwards
0: um, but he lived for a long time he probably lived for 30 or 40 years after that yeah, and the pharaoh in the Bible is supposed to have died in the uh, in the waters in the waters in the when the Red of the sea, sea came back in and crushed them.
1: Now, see, it's interesting that you question that Ramses was the pharaoh. Now, see, a lot of scholars, again going through the gymnastics, have pressed it further to saying, "Oh, it wasn't Ramses; it was either Tutmosis the first, Tutmosis the second, Hatshepsut, or Tutmosis the Third that was the pharaoh during the time of Egypt. However, if you look at it, I mean, a lot of them look to Hatshepsut. Now, uh, not many of you understand who Hatshepsut is. She was the wife of Tutmosis II. When he died, she was the first woman... (coughs) Excuse me. The first woman to step forward.
0: (coughs) got a tickle in my throat. You need a glass of water there? Why, yes, I do. Hold on. (laughs) Explain uh,
1: Hatshepsut to these people. Uh,
0: She actually... Uh, married a guy um, and when he died, she never remarried. And so, she became the pharaoh. She uh, wore the little fake beard that they wore. She wore the crown, clearly the the serpent and the vulture of north and and southern Egypt. Um, She acted as the pharaoh. And actually, her son, when he took over, waited for about 20 years um, after her death and then very um, uh, persistently carved out all of the stuff that, that she was, probably because they didn't like the fact that that Egypt had a woman for a leader, right? It, it yeah. made them look weak, I guess, in that time. Um, the only reason we know it is that uh, there are a couple obelisks right? <laughs> 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 that the people missed. Yeah, the, the servants were
1: supposed to climb these obelisks to chop out her name, but they just told the Pharaoh, yeah, we did it, and it, her name was still up there. <laughs> now, see, in... in a lot of the reason why I think that they did that is Egypt was a land of tradition. When things started changing, that's when decline started coming. And so that's why they didn't like change in the least. And so, again, this is Hatshepsut. Now, the reason why this doesn't even fit to the Bible story is Hatshepsut did have a son, Thutmose III, but none of them had any firstborn die. In fact, it was at the height of Egypt's power. Things were being built. Hatshepsut built dozens of these obelisks. She loved obelisks, so it just doesn't fit. So
0: The cities, too, that they mentioned um, were cities that were, uh, I think, storehouses uh, in Ramsey's time. Yeah. So that fits as well. And his firstborn son did die. And actually, shortly after that, we get the first mention of Israel as a nation. Um, so, it, it, if it, if it did happen, it probably happened during Ramsey's time. If it did happen at all.
1: Yeah, now, another thing is uh, the reason why I toss out Hatshepsut as being the uh, the pharaoh is the capital was farther south, away from Moses and where his people were were sitting, and so there was no way that. Moses could be casting these uh, afflictions at them, going back to his people, and then returning back and forth, back and forth. There was just too much travel time between where Hatshepsut had her capital and where Moses and his people were supposedly sitting. So, I mean, basically, the only pharaoh that really fits is Ramses, and yet again, it was only his son that died.
0: And he lived to a ripe old age. Um, Second longest ruler, I think, in Egyptian history. Uh, aside from what Pepe, I think Pepe, <laughs> who ruled for ninety six years, that dude ruled forever. <laughs> <laughs> <That guy's awesome. laughs>
1: All right, so the last one, the Parting of the Red Sea. Ah, this one's my favorite. Now, uh, stop me if you guys have heard this one before, but uh, you know, Pharaoh one day wasn't feeling too good, and so his advisor said, "Well, Pharaoh, why don't you take one of your boats out into the Nile? You know, fill it up with your maidens, go out into the Nile." And so uh, Pharaoh climbed into the boat. He went out with his maidens and was really enjoying himself. In fact, it was a very enjoyable experience for him until one of his maidens started screaming and wailing in sorrow. So he walked up to her and he asked her, Well, what's wrong? And she points out, I dropped my amulet into the water. So Pharaoh assures her, Don't worry, don't worry. I'll, I'll buy you another one. I'll make it better. And she continues to wail, saying, No, this was a very special amulet to me. I really want that amulet back. So Pharaoh, not wishing for her to ruin his day, calls forward his magicians, and lo and behold, the magicians part the water of the Nile, go down, pluck up this amulet, give it back to the handmaiden, she goes back to happily rowing, and they close the ocean back up, or excuse me, the Nile back up again. Now, uh, this tradition was in the time of Sneferu, the great pyramid builder, again thousands of years before Moses and his people were supposedly even going through there. So doesn't it make sense that a people coming through here hear this story and think, wow, that's a really big miracle that could have happened. And then slowly over the oral history, it becomes incorporated into their miracles that Moses cast.
0: Or Satan knew that that miracle was going to take place um, and before it happened, about a thousand years before, he planted it into the ha- heads of the Egyptians.
1: Oh, and so he allowed Sneferu to actually have his magicians part the water? Yes. Oh,
0: it's yeah. um, plagiarism
1: by anticipation. Of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, yet again, something we will go into <laughs> with theories. <laughs> so, I mean, basically you have this story that, I mean, is probably very well known in Egypt. I mean, this is the great Sneferu.
0: And, uh, yeah, they were always looking back towards the time of Sneferu. Sneferu built, uh, what, three pyramids? Three pyramids. He built life one, life. collapsed, he built the second one, and it was going to collapse, so he made it. It's the bent pyramid. Yeah, the bent pyramid. goes up, and then quickly they finish it. <laughs> and then he finally got it right the third time. That kid, you got to give him credit, man. Yeah. He, he hung tough.
1: Well, that dude, I mean, he could have gone <laughs> back to the Mastabas to have his own yeah. little funeral just like everybody else but none.
0: Or step pyramids, but he did the true pyramids that we see. I mean, that yeah. guy's.
1: He was persistent. So, I mean, yes, people in Egypt constantly looked back to the time of Snefrut, the time of the great kings. And yet again, this is another reason why this story would be so well-known among the Egyptians and why this outside people coming in would catch wind of it, and then through several years passing in their oral traditions, all of a sudden it's incorporated in, except now it's Egypt who's getting drowned by the same parting of waters.
0: Yeah, uh, that sounds plausible. Yeah, uh, And and it does actually give evidence that they were in or around Egypt at some point, yeah. right? So there probably is a kernel of truth. They probably spent some time in or around Egypt. Um, who knows if they were slaves? There certainly weren't 600,000 men who I knew left. you were going
1: to bring that up.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think anyone who's rational and knows about the population of Egypt at the time accepts that. And, you know, once you get to those numbers anyway, it's the same thing in Herodotus, where he says, you know, millions and millions of ships or whatever, people came in Xerxes' army, and they think, oh, come on. When you get that high, it's really tough to keep an accurate count, right? It's just a lot of people. Yeah, it's just like saying, ooh, a
1: lot of people traveled through here.
0: So instead of 600,000, you know, who who knows, maybe 10,000, 20,000,
1: 60,000? Well, see, and that's actually interesting, because, uh, again, the mental gymnastics... There is actually a word "eleph," which is uh, can be translated as a thousand, which is where they get the six hundred thousand from. However, it can also be translated into clans or military units, and so you have these uh, these scholars out there doing the gymnastics, saying, "Okay, well, if eleph means clans or military units, then roughly it was only twenty thousand people in huh. Moses who left." and traveled through it. I mean, they've even gone so far as to say, you know, the Sinai Desert cannot possibly host that 600,000 people. I mean, where are (laughs) they going to find That's why they all died before
0: they got to the Promised
1: Land. That's very true. That's very true. I mean, clearly, this is just a story that, if nothing else, is a fable or just an oral tradition that was blown out of proportion.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I don't know how you can take uh, this... And this is probably with that, if you take the ten plagues away it's it's probably the most one of the most historical things you have you know early in the Old Testament, but uh, even this seems is, is rife with even kind of fundamental historical errors or flaws. but again, you know it's it's oral history that's been written down later, so it's tough to judge on that criteria, and you're probably not looking these guys certainly didn't write this. As literal history that didn't start uh, until Herodotus. Um, these guys are writing this to tell a story they're telling they're writing it to tell a point to get some message across to their children um, the points probably how powerful God is and how if you just depend on him and you, you, you're steadfast that he'll come through in the end for you um, and it, that it gets the and you can overcome massive odds right even the Pharaoh of Egypt had to bow down before God or get crushed in the Red Sea. Um, These are inspiring stories, and clearly that was the intent of the story, and not to relate any type of historical truths.
1: (laughs) You know, you bring up a a thought, actually something. In my earlier church days, when I was actually attempting to be religious, there was a miracle brought forth. I mean, you hear all these little miracles that individual people have had, and this particular one was very interesting to me. It was uh, during the times of the Great Depression. See, in uh, LDS religion there's something known as the tithing, where you give 10% of what you make to the church, and therefore, you know, what is God's should be given to God. And that's what this 10% is. Well, back in the Great Depression, there was a farmer who didn't have any money except for a small amount, and he could have taken that money and used it to pay for food for his family, but instead he used it for tithing. And then lo and behold, he was out in his cabbage field, You know, digging up his last bits of cabbage, and hidden inside one of the cabbage leaves was a $10 bill. Again, a miracle because, I mean, as it was put to me way back when I was a young child, cabbage leaves grow very tightly together, so there's no way a neighbor could have walked up, peeled back a leaf, and stuck $10 in. Are
0: you telling me they believe that God planted that $10 bill? Inside the DNA of the cabbage? That is exactly what I'm trying and to it would grow out with it. Oh
1: somehow this $10 bill was lying on the ground and just somehow got folded up into the leaves. I mean, this is an actual miracle that is taught in the LDS church. And I mean, this is just back from the 1920s we're talking here. And I mean, that's a pretty good-sized miracle right there. I mean, it may be a small little thing, just a cabbage and $10 bill, but that's still a miracle.
0: When I hear that stuff, my first thought is always... Is it more likely that this miracle actually happened, that there was a $10 bill that the cabbage grew up around, or that it was there in the seed, or the cabbage actually printed the $10 bill itself, or is it more likely that these people are just selling you a bill of goods and it's a story that was just made up to inspire? Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Uh, I mean, come on. That has no persuasive power uh, whatsoever, but it does make you feel good, I guess. They get up there and they talk about it and it inspires more faith that their religion is true or... They're not wasting their time three hours a week in church. And
1: that is exactly the point. It's probably the same exact thing. This story of the cabbage was there to inspire people and let them know God is out there to help you. It is the same exact thing with this oral tradition of the Exodus. God will help you through your hardships as long as you are faithful to him. And that is exactly the point I am attempting to posit here. So
0: so that wraps up this podcast. Next week... Glenn Beck? Glenn Beck. All right. Glenn Beck. Excellent.
1: Have a good day, all.